Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on! From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday delivery. Second show of the week. Excited to be with you for the next hour or so as we cover the latest news. And we got a big guest, Big John McCarthy. Aha, how about that little pun? He is in London, England, ready to call Bellator 281 with a headliner of Michael Venom Page versus Logan Storley for the Bellator interim welterweight title. Leoto Machida, Paul Daly also on the card. Plus, there's always lots to talk about with Big John McCarthy, one of the pioneers of the sport of mixed martial arts, a big contributor to the sport, refing, judging, rules committee, podcast host, color commentator, just a super, super dude, historian of, of the sport. I kind of wish... We were in studio doing our two-hour show, and he was with us for the whole two hours. But we'll see how much we can get out of him. Uh, and like I said, we'll cover some of the latest news. UFC also has a show coming up this weekend as well. So buckle up, MMA Junkie Radio, for your Thursday, May 12th delivery. All right, goes. So, you know, a few things have happened, I guess, since the uh, UFC 274 pay-per-view. And one, I saw Rose Namajunas kind of put out a social media post. Now she's being a little too harsh on herself. Something about feeling like a crap human being. Um, No, I, you know, like her post-fight press conference was a little um, she was just wrong she was just a little off i don't hold that against her too much because a she hadn't been or seen the fight b probably emotional she just lost her world title and c even though she didn't get rocked per se i still feel like you kind of don't have all your bearings straight by the time you get back there you know and, and you have to remember why maybe you didn't win this round or you thought you did, or maybe you had more strikes or more takedowns or whatever. So I, I, th I thought she was just, like I say, a little clueless there, but didn't hold it too much against her. Um, all I look for is the sportsmanship. You know, you can make excuses all you want, but you, at the end of the day, you're not going to change the result. I think your best bet is to just say you know, congrats to the other fighter. Hope to meet them down the road, whatever. Anyway, then she goes, then a couple days later, she posts on social media the uh, the reverse. 
And I was like, no, Rose, no, no one thinks you're a crap human being. Just your fight was crappy. That's it. And we're all going to forget about it. It doesn't make you a crap fighter, a crap champion, a crap person, a, a nothing, you know, other than you just had a crappy fight. Tom, ba Tom Brady has had crappy games. So has Michael Jordan. So have the best in the world. The only problem is they get to write the ship a week later, two days later, the next day. Hell, in baseball, you could be 0 for 4 in a, in a double header. And then hit for the cycle in the next one. But your sport is different. You know, you just kind of have to live with it. And that's that. It was a crappy fight. There's just no other way around it. I don't care about chess or strategies or anything. But I am here to say, Rose, you are an awesome fighter, an awesome champion. So if you happen to catch this show, there's no hate coming from my end uh, in regards to your overall career, career honestly. Well, there's no, um, it was a bad fight, but she doesn't have a history of this. Neither does Carla for that, really. I mean, I know Carla's the one that won, but it's not like uh, it was a barn burner on the Esparza side and not on the Yamayuna side. Right. Both of them just had a very strategic fight. One that almost went beyond strategy. It was kind of odd to me, but um, I would not expect that going forward. I would not miss a Carla Sparza or a Rose Namajunas fight because of that. They have good records, and yeah. they've proven that they're good fighters. They just had one bad night. You just have to take that one on the chin because you were part of it. But as far as being a crappy human or nothing, like I don't think anybody's out there. I think people will criticize the fight, but I don't know that people will hold a grudge. Mm. I thought she had a crappy post-fight, you know, but again, I don't. She was probably sad, you know, and, and or, or whatever. But what are you going to do? You know, luckily this week's going to bring more storylines, more stuff's going to go down or whatever. Now, here's where I'm a little disappointed. Pat Barry, her, I guess, fiance and coach did a an interview today where there just didn't seem a to, to, to be for there to be any give from his end. In terms of like, you know, we done fucked up the game plan or whatever. Um, and that is a little unusual because not that I know him well, but he's usually been pretty honest, you know, like in his fighting career and, and just usually overall, like he doesn't seem like the type to admit he was wrong or, um, see it from the point of view of pretty much 99% of MMA people, you know, what's happening here. He stuck to his guns. Here's a couple quotes that he said goes about the fight that took place uh, on Saturday night. Um, Rose stuck to a game plan. We had a strategy and she stuck to it for the first time ever. For the first time ever, she stuck to the game plan and didn't stray away. She didn't become undisciplined. She stuck to it. It just so happens that Carla stuck to her game plan, too, and neither of them broke. That's all we were waiting for. And, okay, you know, mission accomplished, but I think the overall mission is even more important. That's to fly home with the belt, you know? And, again, I hate to always go into other sports, but that's my thing, man. I love sports. You 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 call audibles. You know, there's Plan Bs. There's um, adjustments. 
And these none of these kind of happened. Like, he had to have watched round one and wondered, eee, who are they going to give that to? There's no way he said, 10-9, baby, in the bank. There's no way he said that. He had to have said, oh, my God, I wonder who they scored it for, you know, or something like that. But there's no way there was, like, any certainty at all. The other rounds weren't as bad as that one, but they were pretty bad. That one was atrocious. But the other ones were still, you know, like, what the, what's going on here? I mean, they picked it up, but ever so slightly. Anyway, along the way there, if your fighter is not getting it done where you want it, which was on the feet, dare I say maybe Rose could have initiated a takedown because her top game's pretty nice. Or just, again, unload because if the game plan was, well, we don't want to wind up on the bottom because there's another quote that falls. I'll say that in a second. But we don't want to wind up on the bottom and then get, you know, a sledgehammer or an elbow or whatever. Rose had proven a few times, goes in that fight, that if she got taken down, she could pop right back up. It's not like she got uh, body triangled and, 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 and Carla wrote that out for four minutes. Or it's not like she got up and she was just bludgeoned, you know, or cut open from vicious elbows. Nothing. There was nothing like that. I mean, she literally just popped right back up. I still give Carla credit for the takedown. But um you know she she got right back up so within that game plan the reason that game plan was to be disciplined it had to do with not winding up underneath carla and yet she was already proving that if she did wind up underneath carla it didn't seem to matter now here's the other part people are going to say that um you know in regards to should nama Yunus have let loose quote people are going to say that but those are the same people I'd have to ask, what if Rose would have jumped in the air and started doing spit kicks and gotten taken down, crucifix, and elbowed in the face? Now what? Now I made the bad call by saying go in there and freestyle because there's no winning. What the world says uh, about Pat doesn't matter to Pat. It doesn't matter to Rose, and that's why it doesn't matter to Pat. To me, goes, it just sounds like uh, that's, a, that's a big ego that just doesn't want to accept you know, a little bit of fault. Um, you have to let that ego go in any sport, man, even the great ones, even the Bill Belichick's, the Krzyzewski's or whatever, the ones that make it to the playoffs or go deep in the playoffs or make the finals, Nick Saban's or whatever. They're wrong. They're wrong a lot. They just sometimes get out boxed out coach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I, I'm, I was in shock that I saw that from him because I've always felt like he's kind of a dude that keeps it 100. I kind of understand him to a certain extent. I understand having a game plan, and I understand following it. But the problem is the rounds were so close that nobody could really say without a, a shadow of a doubt, this round went to this person. That was very difficult. So knowing that, I think at the very minimum, at the start of round five, I would have said, we have to do something different just to make sure, even if it's one round that we could sit here and say, we won that round, we have to be aggressive. And um, I think you're right. I think the fact that she popped up from a couple takedowns are things that, that were in their favor in that fight. So I think he does have to take a little bit of blame there. Yeah, Floyd, yeah. Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather uh, made a living off of game plans and not really being the aggressor, just counterpunching. But that's Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd Mayweather was undefeated. That was the hook. That's why people kept 
tuning in because they wanted him to lose, right? Nobody tuned in because they thought it was going to be a great Floyd Mayweather fight. They tuned in because they wanted him to lose. And that was kind of his strategy the whole time. Um, you can win like that, but you're not going to be loved. And and if you ever hear Floyd Mayweather do an interview or something, like he just does not understand why people don't like him or why they don't talk about him as being one of the greatest fighters of all time. So it depends, man. Like what's more important, cashing that paycheck, your legacy, which she kind of did touch on that week. Um, I applaud her for listening to her coaches. But, yeah, I think the coaches need to uh, look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, look, we had a strategy. We stuck to it, but it it wasn't working. Because there's a lot of fighters that would watch that fight again and go, um, if you don't agree that that was a terrible fight. And, by the way, I was the fighter. It was terrible execution on my end, and I'm, I'm shocked I didn't think of a few things. Because it's not like Rose is a robot. She knows the game. As soon as she uh -huh. got up real quick, she should have been thinking, oh, shit, she takes me down. Uh-uh. Like, it's not like everything comes from the coaches. Rose is a bright fighter, person, you know, and, and I think she, she – so they all get blamed. But at some point, you have to turn to your coach and go, "You're wait a minute, you still think this, this was the way to go? Because it, it obviously wasn't. Uh, okay, maybe I'm not gonna fire you, but you need to give me that. You know what I mean? Because obviously they're a couple, but there's a lot. I guarantee you, there's a lot of fighters that would go. I, I sorry, man, we're not gonna click here. If you thought that was acceptable, this is the end of the road. I thank you, but I'm gonna have to look for another camp and another coach because that in no way was acceptable. This is championship material right here that we're talking about. This should be treated by them just like anybody. Um, that makes it to a final of, of another sport and, and, and you come up with some, you know, shit the bed type of game plan or strategy. That's what Let that was. Let me ask you this. Is there a little piece of you that can say that maybe on the Asparza side, the reason for this type of performance had to do with that wedding and getting to that wedding unscathed? No. At all? No. I, I think, think she held think, back a little bit. Or Carla? I think a little bit. No, I think once she I made think... it to like round four or five, uh, not really taking too much damage, I think she held back a little bit. Remember we cracked jokes about how you could drive a Hummer or a bus in between them? Yeah. So Carla, I think, knows that. And she was waiting for Rose to get close enough so that she could do a a blast double. Or maybe time off of uh like like Pat was saying a kick grab a leg, but she needed her to be somewhat close so that she could do that. But because Rose never got that close, Carla couldn't do that. So Carla just had to keep her her guard up. But I think she knew I'm not just gonna dive, you know, and and, and whiff, you know, I'm gonna kind of uh not out strategize her, but out patience her. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. now now don't get me wrong, goes. If Carla doesn't come, if Carla loses the split decision, it was a split decision. If Carla comes up short, because one judge had it 49 46 for Carla, one judge had it 48 47 for Carla, and the other one had it 48 47 for Rose. If the other 48 47 flips and goes to Rose, I'd be sitting here going, dude, you waited seven years, won five in a row, and that was your attempt to win a, a title. Um, you know, but but no, I don't think any of it had to do with just not wanting to engage Rose. I think she just Rose wasn't getting close enough 
for her to feel comfortable that uh, she could shoot. I, I I don't think she wanted to waste her shots. I think she wanted to make them count um, so that when she got her, she could secure her and then go to work. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of fighters that get takedowns, and, man, they're, like, cat-like. They're able to, like, start advancing position, taking your back, locking up a triangle or body triangle or whatever. Um, Carla's not one of them. Carla needs to basically use her wrestling and then hold her in to whatever position she wants to work out of half guard, side control, full guard, whatever it is, so that she knows that she can hold her down. And then once she can hold her down and kind of pin her, then all of a sudden start scoring points. It's kind of like a, a little bit of a more methodical way. So I, I, I don't think so. Um, she, if you listen to her, I think it was between rounds four and five. She goes, what round is it? So you could tell she was just kind of like in fight mode. Like, I think she was just focused on whatever was in front of her. I don't think she was even thinking about that. I mean, she probably thought about it like the day of, I guess. Like, oh boy, you know, here, here goes nothing. I certainly hope I don't look like Joanna after the Zhang Wei Li fight. But, you know, it, it's time to go. And I don't think she really worried about that too much. It doesn't add up for me, though. That's the problem. See, none of us thought that either one of those girls slam dunk, this is the winner. We had ideas, right? I think mm -hmm. both you and I thought Carla won, but had they say it, had they said Rose Namajunas, we wouldn't have thrown our laptops in the air or anything like that out of shock. Um, so if all of us are feeling that way, I don't really think Carla's thinking that in the cage. And her not pressing, even in the last minute, something, a flurry, you're right, George, seven years waiting that long for a rematch? I have to question why she wasn't more aggressive at the very end of that fight. It worked out for her, but uh, that was a, a oh yeah, a it was it was a terrible game plan by her too. But I think the one thing I think she can reason is, hey, wait a minute, you haven't kicked me that much, you haven't punched me that much, you certainly haven't rocked me. Now, granted, I haven't done that to you either, but it looked like at least in every round there was a takedown attempt or there was something from her end that thought hey maybe i might i may have nicked that round or whatever man i, I you know i who knows who knows because again i i was so frustrated at the time that i was watching it and i still stand by it was the worst title fight i've ever seen um and it was one of the worst fights i've ever seen by two excellent fighters who will probably make the hall of fame who have both worn gold who i wish the best for it's just that this was their, this was their shitty game. That's all, that's all there's to it. You know what I mean? And and uh, the the other day, the the uh, Los Angeles Angels beat somebody twelve nothing, I believe. They got shut. Uh, sorry, they got no hit, and they got twelve runs put on them. You know, think about how horrible that is. And guess what? I think they lost the next day, five to three. So you could just shit off in another sport in this one you just gotta basically live with that but i think part you think the angels or sorry the other team whoever they were you think they walked into the dugout and said yeah man well, you know what we're gonna stick to um whatever it was we did here you know uh we, we're, we're we're looking to repeat that the next day hell no man that that's actually what costs coaches jobs coaches have to come clean and that's why usually they go this one's on me but we're gonna rally the troops and tomorrow we're gonna be hitting the ball out of the park we're going to be stealing bases, working the pitch counts, you know, blah, 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 whatever. But that's why I was I was bummed out that Pat didn't uh, do that. Now, we had an interview with Rose and Carla's agent. It's the same guy. 
And I felt like there, there was some um, brutal honesty that came from him. He, he basically was very careful, obviously, because they're not just his clients. They're like his kids. You know, Brian's about my age. I think he's not. I think he's 50 on the dot. So he's he probably feels like he's a way older brother or or, or maybe he be cool in that. Regard, but he admitted that that fight just it wasn't a great fight, you know, and that's it. And um, but but those those coaches and those fighters they they just have to take the heat it's starting to wear off you know i think i don't expect us to talk about this much more um as we get to the end of the week because like i say we turn the page quickly in this sport but hopefully before the next fight there is a coming to jesus moment you know of mm -hmm. acceptance kind of like what we got out of michael chandler saying yeah, man, in that third round, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of a flight mode, fight mode I, I, I was in, but I lost it. I stopped listening to my coaches, and I went in there, and I just didn't execute. That was brutal honesty, and and now look at him, man. He has arguably the KO of the year against Tony Ferguson because he was able to compartmentalize and put that in the past, and Chandler hasn't done that in the past. Chandler's had a problem with the the uh, Primus leg kicks and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, like I say, this Chandler was very mature and very smart, and he went out there and he just put it on Tony. Congrats to him. Yeah, big win for him. And you're right, maybe just a little bit. Who knows? Maybe fatherhood does that to you or something. He's now a yeah. father times two. So uh, maybe just a little bit more mature. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Chandler also did an interview today where he said, Hey, Dustin, I kind of remember you not giving me the warmest welcome to the UFC. So that's kind of why I haven't been uttering your name because Dustin Poirier was like, hey, I see you trying to link up with uh, Nick or sorry, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, maybe fighting for the title. What about me? You know, and so Chandler had a little poke back at him. Uh, that was interesting. You know, I love the drama. Hey, but I hear Big John is ready to go. So let's catch up with our guest, Big John McCarthy, another destined to be Hall of Famer whenever he decides to hang it up. Right now, the hat that he's wearing is as a color commentator for Bellator MMA. He is now entering his fifth year. Granted, they did take one off because of COVID, so he's been calling fights for three years, but he's just started his fifth year with them, uh, and I believe he does an excellent job. So it's time for Big John McCarthy. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes land another superstar. This time it's Bellator color commentator, Big John McCarthy. What's going on, Big John? Out in London, ready to call some fights. I'm in London, ready to call some fights. I'm, I'm doing good, ready to get home after uh, the, the show, but we got a really good show coming up, so I'm looking forward to that. Five fight cards in five weeks all over the planet. Um, you must be exhausted uh, you know, it's, it's funny as I look at, uh, I, I sort of got, I was thinking, man, the UFC does this week in and week out just about throughout the year. It's like, they're crazy. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I mean, they got a lot more commentators than what we have, but it's a lot of work. You know, I, I, I was sitting in my room watching fights, you know, getting ready for uh, the people that are going to be fighting on Friday night. So it's just something you got to do. A lot of time zones, a lot of uh, jet lag, but you guys have pulled it off. This is the final leg here. But before we talk about London, let me ask you, 
I have been a big fan of MMA finally in France, and you guys had that show, and I was watching it. To me, it looked like it popped. You know, like the the crowd was definitely into it, and this looks like the type of show, uh, or even the type of year, because I know the UFC is going to make a visit as well, where it's going to spring um, France some life, even more life into France, because France has, has produced some athletes. You know, but I, you know, France, I've I've watched sports all my life. They always come strong in the Summer Olympics. They come strong in other sports outside of the Olympics. I have a feeling, you know, uh, MMA is going to be tremendous over there. It's, I'm telling you, George, it was so funny because there was a lot of people that they, they knew Bellator. They really don't know the UFC. And, you know, we were talking about, no, they're going to be coming. They got a great show. And they've got, you know, Cyril Gaon, who's from the UFC. But it was almost scary as far as you look you said man it just you heard nothing and i mean nothing about the ufc that was coming up with charles Oliveira against justin gaethje there was nothing but there was a lot of people out there for bellator the place got packed for us and man when their fighters come out there's a couple of them that they get behind their their people they want their guys to win and they're into the sport. Now, they're, they are definitely into the stand-up. They love the stand-up compared right. to the ground. They, I think a lot of them don't still understand the ground. But if one of their guys does something great on the ground, they understand that. So, you know, they were they were great fans. It was a great place. I had been there before. And just a, just a really everything. Everything was good there. The people were great. And the show was great. And they've got a couple of guys. You know, at least Bellator has a couple of guys that are signed to them that they're going to be stars, you know, and, and all of them actually, you know, it's weird. I, I hate saying this, but they need to go down and wait. They fight above their size and they're doing well and uh, they really have a, a bright future. Yeah. You know, even though the main event was a little slower than we anticipated, Bader had a game plan. He stuck to it. Those moments when Congo would co create separation, the crowd was, you know, I, I like that they were passionate all the way to the end, even though it looked like things were going to go their way. They still, they still were cheering on their guy, you know, and yeah. and then Congo all of a sudden would let some stuff go and, you know, kind of make things interesting. But overall, I thought it was a home run. I, I'm really glad you guys went there. I'm glad you got to experience it. I wanted to know how does that compare with other places that you've been to where it's been some sort of a debut either for the country or the city? You know, it's honestly it was fantastic because the first show that Bellator did here, I didn't even go. I, I actually did the broadcast from holly pennsylvania and uh it was because you know COVID and everything and they only allowed a thousand people i believe into the building into the same building that we were at with you know i don't know 15 some thousand people so the fighters that were there and some were the same fighters you know they got to experience you know fighting in front of a home crowd that was full of you know energy and going crazy so it was a, it was a great atmosphere overall i want to say one thing about congo no one knows it, but he pulled his his uh, quad, his upper quad, in the first round of that fight, and he fought through it. So he oh, was wow. at a, he was at a deficit after the first round, or even in the middle of the first round. So he really fought a hard fight, and, and having a guy like Bader grind on you that hard and that long, and still at the end be going after him, you got to give a man you know forty seven years of age now, incredible endurance and incredible strength. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then let's talk about you. You know, you just began your fifth year with Bellator. Uh, Damn, time flies. 
Well, I remember it was 2018. I mean, I guess one year yeah, maybe was shelved a little bit because of COVID. Yeah. So probably three years of calling fights, four years complete, you know, with the company and now beginning the fifth year. Uh, I want, and I think you, you might be closing in on about a hundred shows. What's it been like now you've actually made a career out of broadcasting that you can now compare to your time as a referee and judge. I, wow. Well, I don't compare them at all. You know, they're completely different and it's, uh, I am still, I'm such a, I'm a rookie. I'm still a rookie at this. I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way to do things. Um, I, the, the refereeing was, it was so, I don't want to say easy for me, but I felt so comfortable doing it. And I, I felt comfortable that I was always going to, you know, make the right decision in the end, do the right thing. Obviously that wasn't true because I made mistakes like everyone, but, um, really felt comfortable with it you know this is one of the this has been one of those things it's not easy it's you know it's hard in the fact that you don't want to say the wrong thing you don't want to overdo it and and say things that now the audience isn't understanding because you got to make it to where they're comfortable with what you're saying and you got to say things sometimes that you know about a fighter that is not as complimentary as they would like to hear even though it's the truth of what's going on at the time and sometimes that's rough yeah, and uh, weighing in has been a success as well. We were talking about this pre-show. So commentating is one thing because I think basically you're, you're calling the fights live, everything that's in front of you that you prepared for. Weighing in, you've had a chance to digest it and give off another type of opinion. Uh, how much are you enjoying the podcast world? I'm loving the podcast. I have a great time because I have a great partner in it. And, you know, everyone, it's you know what it's like to work with someone that, you know, you get along with so well when you got good goes there. I mean, you guys had trig and you got rid of him. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, seriously, it's when, when you get along with the people that you're working with, it makes it so easy. And look at Josh is a smart ass. I'm a smart ass. And we, we both, you know, push each other's buttons and do things to each other. And we have a blast doing it because everything we do is real. Everyone thinks that all oh, you couldn't be doing but we laugh at each other. We make fun of each other. We, you know, we back each other up. He's a great person. He is a, he's a super loyal guy, super, uh, you know, into always trying to do the right thing for people. And so he makes it fun for me. And so now that you've been on this side of things for a while, um, what do you think of fighters overall that they really don't like hearing that either their fight sucked or they fought less <laughs> you know, subpar or anything, um, has that wound up ruining relationships or are we, you know, have you been able to kind of like at least have a frank discussion and figure things out and then the respect remains? You know, both ways. I've had it both ways where, you know, they get, they're, they're mad and they get pissed off and they hate you. And okay. You know, first off, I've never had a hard time with anyone hating me. I don't care. I'm just being honest. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm too old to worry about it. I don't hate anybody. I don't have that. And it's, you know, I used to, and I've got rid of it a long time ago, realizing it's a waste of time. You know, everyone's going to have their opinions about something and, and someone's going to say, you know, something about you that you don't like. It happens every day and I don't worry about it. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, Josh is a guy, he reads the comments all the time. I don't. Right. And he goes, you got to read this comment. I go, no, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> and when it, when it comes to fighters, I look at it and say, sometimes, you know, they get too sensitive about certain things that they should just look and say, hey, 
all right, let me think about it because it's the same as what, you know, I, I talk with referees or what I used to do is don't sit there and just dig your heels in and say, I'm right. Take a look at the other side and see if there's anything valid there that could make you better. And if there is, take it, steal it, use it, and become that person that's now better. And, and that's just what it should be. But you never try to hurt anyone's feelings, but you're going to somewhere along the way only because sometimes, you know, you get diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> well, honestly, I can think of a, uh, of a time where you kind of – the advice you just finished saying that you've given it to other refs and judges, you applied it to yourself because I did notice – a few weeks ago, when you early on said there's no way you can call that first round for Aljo, you kind of went back and said, hey, look, I, I can see it. the round being called for Aljo. I thought that was tremendous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's a perfect example of you kind of taking your own advice. Yeah, well, you know, it's – and, you know, look, here, here's the first thing. And Aljamain certainly can hate me. And again, I honestly don't care. But I will tell you, I don't hate him. I think he's a phenomenal fighter. I think he is just – a dynamite fighter and he deserves you know to be where he's at but when you take a look at you know judging of a fight i did exactly what you should never do and that's have friends over be jaw jacking with them while the fight's going on and then <laughs> think that you saw that fight as you should have i didn't and i went back and watched this yeah you know what i, I can definitely see why someone would say al Jermaine won that if you're going for volume you're going to go more for Aljamain. If you're going more for power, you're going to go more for Jan. But it's razor close. And, uh, you know, I was wrong. John, you know, in all the other sports, there are controversies. and But by the end of the game, usually everybody has it all down. The rules, there's things that we've just dealt with for years. But in mixed martial arts, depending on where you go, sometimes the rules are a little bit different. Sometimes people just don't try and keep up with changes in the rules or scoring or anything of like that. So we always lean on you to educate us a little bit. And so this past weekend, a couple things came up and I wanted to see if you could help clarify them. Let's go. A 10-10 round. Can you explain what has to happen in your opinion for a judge to write 10-10? Sure. There's a couple things. One is uh, you'll have an instance where you have a fight that, you know, we'll say a three-round fight that enters the third round or a five-round fight that enters the fourth round, there's been, you know, 10 to 15 seconds of fighting and something occurs which draws a foul, unintentional, we'll say, and the fight ends up where it cannot be completed. Well, the judges have seen 10 to 15, 20 seconds of fighting, how much has really happened. You've got to be very cautious in giving that. Someone would have had to have landed a shot that knocked the other person down for you to give that a 10-9 to one over the other. That would be a 10-10 round. You know, the other thing that would be a 10-10 round is, I always say, the fights that are the worst, the ones that are the ones that are, there's not a whole lot happening. They're not really going after each other like we saw with Carlos Esparza and Rose Namajunas, especially the first round. I was judging it. I didn't have anybody there. It was me by myself. And I put down 10 10. That's a 10 10 round because, and it's really based upon neither fighter deserved to win that round. Yeah. When you're talking about giving an advantage to one fighter over the other, they both hit each other, I would say, one to two times, if that. And, not, and neither of those were great. And you don't deserve to have an advantage over your opponent in that. So if I was scoring on that, if I was sitting in Arizona, the table would have gotten a 10-10, and, and I believe that's the right score for that round. 
you know, judges and referees all have the rules that they have to go by, but they sort of have their own personalities, I feel like. And same thing in the NBA, right? Sometimes coaches will say, hey, some guys are a little quicker on the trigger. Uh, before that fight started, I had made the comment that sometimes Keith Peterson, he'll let them play out a little bit more than, than another ref, let's say, right? And one thing that I had remembered was Herb Dean, one time I remember him calling for timidity, right? Mm-hmm. Is is that something that could have maybe been called for in that fight, being more aggressive in that situation? Is, is that Does that make any sense? It, it makes sense to the person, and it makes sense when you're, you're saying it. Uh, as the referee, I want you to answer the question, which fighter were you going to give a timidity to as far as taking a point? That's the problem. Neither one is going after the other. Both of them are being – very careful. It's a, it's a matter of game planning, a matter of styles, and it just happens in fights. And the audience wants the referee to be the difference maker and, and, hey, switch this around and make this good because this is not what I paid for. And the problem is this, and I tell people all the time, you know, goes a, a referee is never, ever going to make a bad fight good. You just can't do it. It's just a matter of the fighters themselves are cautious about certain things, worried about certain things with their opponent, not willing to engage like they do against somebody else. You cannot make a bad fight good, but I guarantee you that a referee can make a good fight bad, and that's what you don't want to do either. So you're, you're in that position. If you're Keith Peterson, uh, could he have you know issued you know a timidity warning to them? Yes. Could he have said, hey, I'm going to take points from both of you? Yes. But what's it really going to do in the end? It's not going to change much of what they're doing. And, and part of the reason it's not going to change much of what they're doing is, and this is where people are, you got to look towards the corners at times. You know, listen to the corner of Rose Namajunas. Pat Barry and Trevor, you know, they're telling her she's winning. They're telling her that she's doing exactly what they want her to do. And so she's going to carry on with what it is. Carla, her corner is basically saying the same thing. You know, she's she's worried about this. You know, just stick with what you're doing. And that kind of leads to it, too. And it's not, not that the corners are doing anything wrong. It's just that it's the whole game coming together where game plans are bet, are, are we're, we want to keep on our feet and keep distance. We want to, you know, make sure that we don't get hit with something big. We want to try to take down on a good position. And it just ends up being a bad fight. It happens. Yeah, I I hadn't even thought about the point, actually. I was wondering the same thing as goes. Could there have been a warning, you know, for sure? Maybe he gets through the first round and then waits till 60 to 90 seconds into the second and then steps in, you know, because I know there's a feeling out process. I know it's high stakes. There's a lot of pressure. But, geez, you know, like, I think a warning could go far. I don't know if it changes anything or not, but – do you yeah. think maybe it was just because because Keith is a great ref, honestly, but Keith's at the same time, he's not an experienced title fight ref. So it could be that maybe this was his learning, you know, his yeah, yeah, yeah. learning moment. He might learn from it. You know, I can tell you that, you know, one of the, you know, a fight just like that, it was in Bellator and that I was refereeing and it was uh, a title fight between Melvin Manhoff and uh, Rafael Cavallo. And the first round was horrible. I mean, they'd hardly touched it. There was a one kick landed by each. That was all I could count. And I stopped them in the middle you know, of the, of the first round and told them, hey, you need to give the judges something to look at. Yes. You're doing nothing. Get after this, right? And then at the end of the round, I did the same thing, but 
it didn't change it. It was just a bad matchup. When they fought again, there was a knockout. So, but I had scored that one. You know, in my mind, I said, well, that's a 10-10 round. None of the judges went 10-10 because judges are very uh, hesitant to do a 10-10. But when you have something that is basically a horrible matchup as far as there's nothing happening, that's when you'll see the 10-10 or should see the 10-10. Not when you have this, you know, great snobber blood, this snot's getting knocked all over. People are going down left and right. Oh, there's a difference in those, and that's the ones that the judges should be able to see the difference. Yeah, and you know, I, I mentioned it, we talked to Logan Storley earlier, but as much as everyone's trying to put this in the rearview mirror, that fight, because obviously it just it wasn't any good, I think a lot of us can learn a lot. Keith, we, we mentioned him, but I told Storley, I go, you're a wrestler. Carla's a wrestler. MVP wants to stay standing because he's a striker. I would almost say, like, it, hopefully they watched it or will watch it because there, there pretty much could be something to at least stealing the 10-9. I mean, if there was ever going to be 10-10s, it was that first round, and there wasn't. That means the judges want to write something down. So there's got to be some sort of a strategy there where if nothing's going on, you know, like, I, I know once you're out there, you don't really have a helmet where the offensive coordinator's talking to you. You can hear the corner or whatever. But I think that's going to be the next level of MMA is at least knowing how to maybe secure that round. If you think about it, Jan and, and Sterling, as fun of a fight as that was, it went down to how the first round was scored. You can't Absolutely. just give away a round if you're a fighter. So hopefully a lot of a, a lot of people learn from this, including the fighters themselves. I, I agree with you. It's tough, man, when you're the fighter and you're out there and you're listening to your corner and that's what you're supposed to do. You know, I, I, there there were fights on that night that I looked at and I'm you know I'm listening to the corner and and I I see a fighter go back and the corner tells him okay you won that round and I'm going what are you talking about how are you telling your fighter that they won a round that you have no idea that the judges are going to go with you on that it's too close but you know they're doing that and the problem is usually with the corner is the corner everything that their fighter does is just a little bit better in their eyes and everything the opponent does is not quite as good. And if you're in that position, man, you really should never be telling your fighter that they won the round. The, the best you can do is say, hey, I can't tell you if you won that one or not, so we're going to say you lost. We need the next one. Yeah. And, of course, this is the main event for Bellator 281 that we're discussing here, Storley versus MVP for the interim title. Uh, much respect to uh, Amasov, who's yeah. fighting for his country right now. We wish him the best, full health you know, that this thing just ends in Ukraine and that obviously he can come back. But these two gentlemen are going to fight for the the uh, interim title. I don't know if I said vacant, but that's the interim title. And if I'm not mistaken, weren't you the ref of MVP versus Evangelista Cyborg? Yeah, I was. Oh, man. Ooh. Like that that's still a fight that like shakes me to the core when I think about it, man. Just hearing that skull crack and then seeing the result. But I wanted to ask you, is the fight going to be – does the fight really kind of like take a different course if Logan tries to wrestle and those takedowns get stuffed? You know, that's a huge win for MVP. Or MVP is out there striking, and next thing you know, he's getting hit with a one-two that he didn't expect or maybe some leg kicks. Is that the kind of stuff you watch for? Is not just – not necessarily their strengths, but who's maybe thwarting the other guy's strength and, and like maybe that's the direction the fight can, can go in? Oh, of course. You're taking a look. If if Logan Storley goes out there 
there, there's different ways of him attacking MVP. MVP is weird anyways, as far as, you know, the way he, you know, conducts himself with his standup, his hands are down. That's that usually makes taking him down more difficult because his hands are not up. They're in that down position. So he's able to get under hooks and be able to lift you up as you start to try to come in on his legs. So that makes it difficult for Logan. Uh, the other part is he's very fast and his footwork is very good. And you look at that, you know, shot you're talking about with Evangelista Cyborg Santos, man, that thing happened fast. And that's how quick he can bring a flying knee. And Logan needs to be very careful about where he puts his head when he's deciding to take that shot. But then in reverse, you can take a look and say, MVP is going to be looking for the takedowns and Logan can disguise those. He can hide it, you know, hide the takedowns behind his hands, but he can also hide his hands behind the threat of the takedown and make someone think that he's coming in for that takedown. And here comes the overhand, right? And you're bringing your hands in that downward position to make sure that you can stop the takedown. And there's a free shot at your chin. So it goes both ways. And both guys have their, you know, they're both outstanding at what they do. Logan Storley's wrestling is unbelievable for MMA. And I don't say that. I'm not saying that because I'm with Bellator. I'm telling you, not every wrestler's wrestling transfers into MMA. His does beautifully. And he is so good at changing levels, turning the corners on guys, and then being able to chain techniques together where a guy is stopping his first attack, but here comes his second, and he's almost, you know, he's going to stop that. Here comes the third, and he's on his ass. Logan is unbelievable at that. So his wrestling is as good as it gets in MMA. You're not going to find many people that, that do it better. You'll get guys that may have had, you know, better wrestling career. Uh, but, man, I'm telling you, Logan Storley in the wrestling game is unbelievable. And you know what MVP can do in the stand-up. So it's the classic. It's the striker versus the grappler. This is what made the sport of MMA, and that's what makes it fun. Is that, by the way, the most violent strike you've ever uh, refed or, or been a part of, you know, third minute in the game. The, honest to God, that was the hardest. Thing. It sounded, you know, I, I try to tell people if you, you know, you get, you're wearing your Dodger hat. So if you've ever been to batting practice and you've ever, yeah. you know, heard guys, you know, that can really hit, you know, if you go to batting practice and you saw, you know, the old time guys like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa or Barry Bonds and you hear the crack of the bat when they hit the ball and it's going out of the park, it was that loud. And it was, and you know, when he went down, I realized, you know, as soon as he got hit, I could see he turned and he was actually bracing himself when he went down, which is telling me he's not out. But then I see his feet kicking. I said, okay, that's it. You know, we're over. And when I turned him over, you know, you're used to seeing lumps and bumps in MMA. That's just part of the game. Right. You're not used to seeing deaths, indentations. And that's what I was looking at. And I was like, oh, my God, he broke the front part of his skull, you know, with that knee. Because I actually thought that he hit him in the nose when, when he first got hit. And you could see it. It was the skin around it was just this gray color. And I was like, oh, get in here real quick. I was waiting for the ringside position. We got a problem. So Yeah, that was something else, man. Um, two other stars on this main card. Leota Machida, Paul Daly, coincidentally, both southpaws. They're going to be mixing it up. Their opponents have like, you know, in the case of Daly, he's got like almost 60 fights. Both opponents, by the way, are nine and two. And so I think Machida has three times more experience. Daly's got like four or five times more experience. And I want to ask you, how valuable is that experience 
when it has to offset youth from what you've noticed? You know, it's, it, it goes both ways. And it's uh, Fabian Edwards is the opponent for Leo Machida. And I'm going to tell you right now that it's, that's Leon Edwards' brother. And Fabian is – he's – probably faster and more dynamic. I'm not saying that he's more technically better than his brother, but man, he is good. He is fast. You, you look at everything that he has and it's all the things that you're going to say, those are the things that can give Lyoto problems in the fact that age is now, you know, not his friend. Yeah. I, I go back with Lyoto looking at this fight. I, I was talking to someone about it. I said, this almost reminds me of the Lyoto Machida against Randy Couture at UFC 129 where Leota was fast and he was elusive and Randy was, you know, Randy was Randy, but he was slower and he was going to have a hard time, you know, getting into him. And so you're looking, this is almost the reverse in, you know, that roles. And it's what happens in the fight game is, you know, as you get older, the experience and the knowledge, it increases. And that keeps you able to compete with these young studs that have all of these God-given talents, and then they're learning the right things from good trainers and stuff. But Leona Machida is a problem for anyone. The way he fights, how hard he is to hit, uh, and the fact that he can take the fight anywhere if he wants. He can take it to the ground. He just doesn't like to. He likes to stand the fight up. I would to say, you know, against Fabian Edwards, Leona sometimes utilizing a takedown and being in the top position would be a good thing. Will he do it? I don't know. But the guy he's fighting is for real. Yeah. John, I want to get a little silly for a second, okay? Let's go. Um, you talked about this new, young, this youth talent that we have in this sport. The sport has come a long way. You were there for UFC 1, okay? Uh, I think if you were to tell some fighters today, I mean, Bellator has the Grand Prix, PFL has their season, and they actually had to fight twice in one night uh, for a couple of years. But it wasn't anything like UFC 1. Okay, that was a different animal. If you had to guess, what percentage of the Bellator roster could have won UFC one if they entered today as as a fighter today? Oh my God! Well, I mean, it's I mean, goes. It's such a different sport. Everyone knows everything, and it was you know back then, it was a style versus style. We just, we just don't have that. We you know you you can look and say. All right, MVP versus Storley is a, is a grappler versus a striker. Yes, but MVP knows the ground game, and you know the very first fight I ever reft of his, he got a submission. So you look and you go, he wasn't just that one pure you know striker aspect. This guy has done a ton of work of making himself uh, be able to stop the wrestlers, be able to you know uh, you know take the takedown and make it work for him. He's been able to figure out how to have a submission game. Logan Storley, a great wrestler, but he uses his hands, and you take a look at what he did with Naaman Gracie in that fight. It was mostly his stand-up which won him the fight. And you look and you go, there weren't there weren't that many people back then. It was just different. So, you know, percentage-wise, obviously, I'm gonna have to count out some of the lighter, you know, people in it just based on weight, but a ton. You know, it's just a different game. And it's, you know, the sport is better today. It's like computers. It's like anything else. You know, the the fighters of today are just better than the fighters of the past. Now, that doesn't, you know, I, I want to say one thing. That doesn't mean that we should be touting everybody as the greatest of all time 
like is done sometimes with certain fighters. You know, there are guys that are still standouts that deserve, you know, the, the, the right to be in that, Hey, this guy was special against everybody, but you know, yeah, not many people of that crew at UFC one could have beaten anyone here now. Hey, John. So I agree with you. I think it's a very high percentage, but whatever it is, let's just call it 90%. Okay. I drop it two or three just because I feel like there's su- it's such a different animal. No gloves. The first time somebody gets hit in the nuts or having to do it so many times in one night, uh, there are just a few things that I think uh, even doctors at times throw up or, or you know, like you mentioned when you look at what happened to Cyborg, even you were like, whoa, I think there are just a few of those. I drop it where they go, man, no gloves. Are you kidding me? This guy just hit me in the nuts. What's going on? I got soccer kicked. I think there's a couple of those, but yeah, the well, sport has, has come a long way. I got to give you one. There were, at UFC one, nut shots were illegal. There was three rules. No biting, no eye gouging, and no groin shots. At UFC 2, they said, oh, you guys said you could have done better with a nut shot? Okay, you can have the nut shots, and they put it in. <laughs> oh, wow. Because oh, wow. okay. was UFC 2 the one where you were actually being talked about possibly fighting him? It was one, Yeah, right? that was, that was uh, I, no, I was never talked about being a fighter. I had put in the application and, and uh, all that, and, they, they made me the referee, and thank God they did. So, <laughs> Hey, John. Hey, so all this happen- guy's a Gracie Black Belt back then. You were a Gracie Black Belt ba- back then, right? Oh, well, not back then. No, I was well, – back then, I, yeah, I may have been blue still, right at purple. Okay. Well, that's still skill level, you know. From yeah, that but was, I was – Jiu-Jitsu was running the game back then. And then you are about six foot four – Tough guy from the streets, athlete, and then you have the police training. So I'm sure there's a lot of skills there. Why would, are you cutting yourself short, man? Look, I think I, you versus Gordo would have been an interesting matchup. That would have been a fun matchup. Now, I look at it just like I look at it this way. I, I would have done okay. And that's what I said. I'd have done okay, but I never would have been part of the sport in the way that I have been. I would never would I would have been long gone if I had fought, you know, and and I was so lucky that they gave me that opportunity to referee and then I kind of stuck with it. And I, and I, tr- I just took it on as, okay, this is what I'm going to do then. And one of the best gifts I have ever been given. So that's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's close with this. The, I, I only saw this because it was in the news, but then I was perusing your social media before we did the interview. And I, that video so chilling. Um, <laughs> of you and the cops that are entering the store that was looted um, during the Rodney King riots or the LA riots, however you want to call it. I guess it was the LA riots after the Rodney King decision had, had come in, you know um, I I figured maybe this was just a shout out to you and the LA police force. And then when it kept going and kept going, I saw you, you there. Can you talk about that experience and what you felt and what you were going through that night? You know that that night was a it was a it was a strange night, but there was a lot going on. Uh, that was actually the very first night of the riots, and that was a uh, a store, and I think that one was in Wilshire Division. That it was a uh, it was a store that had all kinds of like almost like a flea market inside, or 
something like that, all these different stores. And it had a couple of pawn shops and all the pawn shops were being broken into because they people were you know getting guns. And we'd been shot at multiple times throughout that evening and stuff. So we'd watched a couple of people. There was people that were running out. We watched a couple of them see us and run back in. And that's why we were going back inside to find them. So that's, I, I honestly never realized there was a film crew that was following us. That's how observant I am. I don't remember that at all. I, I saw this video once before and I, you know, someone brought it up. I said, where the hell did they get that from? But uh, that was uh, my, uh, the unit that I worked, that was a, a gang unit, West Bureau Crash. And we were out for that night, all the way into the next morning, all the way into the next night. And uh, finally got to go home after that for a couple of hours, but uh, different times. So this was before you were part of, I think, SWAT as well, right? You had contributions to SWAT, maybe not as a member, but I think I think you told us before that you helped uh, set the SWAT team up, or, or were you a part oh, of SWAT? Oh, no, that was my dad. Oh, that was your dad. Okay. <laughs> That's my dad. My dad was uh, one of the ones that set up SWAT. So the LA, LA SWAT team was the uh, first SWAT unit in America, yeah. and my dad was part of that. I was never part of that. And I heard you say Crash. That's referenced in the movie Colors. Like, yeah, oh, Sean Penn and Robert Duvall are part of a crash unit. That's, what did crash stand for? <laughs> LAPD was great with acronyms. And so crash, although it sounds really cool, stands for community resources against street hoodlums. Okay. And it was called the gang unit crash. So yeah. that's, that's what it stood for. Was that movie fair um, yeah. in the way, you know, it portrayed police officers. One of them was a little bit more aggressive towards the youth. That's the young Sean Penn. And then Robert Duvall was more of the veteran. He wanted to use his mind to connect yeah. in a different way. And that's exactly what you get. You know, it's a matter of uh, you're, you're going to get young police officers want to go 100 miles an hour. And older police officers are of the accord of, hey, you know, you, you can't win all the time. You can't beat everyone. Be smart. And eventually, if someone's doing something dirty, you'll catch them. But if you can't catch them today, don't worry about it. You'll catch them tomorrow. And that's kind of like what. Robert Duvall was the the person trying to explain that to Sean Penn. Sometimes you'll get through to him, sometimes you won't. But uh, no, it was it was fairly accurate in in its per, you know the perception of what the unit was about. The unit was about you know causing problems for people that were causing the the regular citizens problems. And so you know if we could put you in jail and take you off the streets because you were doing something bad, that's what we were supposed to do, and that's what we did. Luckily, the veteran cop taught the young cop the story about the two bulls. So exactly that, that usually gets through. I thought of one last thing. Are you still part of the Monday conference call with judges and refs, or did, did you have to re remove yourself just because your career moved on? Or you used to quarterback the thing, I believe, right? Because a lot of people yeah. don't know that. Um, everybody wonders about accountability. Like, oh, everyone just goes home, takes their check. But I, I've tried to champion the fact that, you guys are always trying to get better every week, and there's, I believe, a conference call uh, with judges and referees where things are discussed, right? Yeah, there was there, even throughout all of uh, COVID, there was training going on and stuff. You know, it's it's amazing what Zoom uh, did for us. It actually allowed more people to, you know, get in touch and to listen to you know veteran people and uh, the judges that were you know the guys like Sal D'Amato, who's there all the time, and uh, Derek Cleary. They're on those calls and stuff. I have not been on those calls for a while now. I still sit on the uh, the MMA rules committee for MMA with the unified rules and stuff. 
Andy Foster of California is the chair of that. And so I'm part of that. But uh, as far as the, uh, the training ones and stuff, I try to step back because no one wants to listen to some stupid commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Plus you want to mess around with that new chicken coo and the tractor on shabby oh, farms. Good stuff there, man. You're well, leaving, you're Farmer leaving. John now, so <laughs> you have a great life and a beautiful pad out there in Tennessee. And John, I want to thank you. Goes and I want to thank you for almost 40 minutes here of a catch up. Um, on Love fight week, we really, really appreciate it, and I hope you guys have a great fight, folks. Don't forget Bellator 281 Friday, one Eastern start time. Catch the fights on Showtime. 13 bouts altogether, including an interim bout between MVP and uh, Logan Storley, and a lot of other talent scattered throughout the card as well, uh, including veterans Paul Daly and Leoto Machida. Thanks again, Big John. One thing. Oh, sure. Well, I want to tell both of you, hey. Thank you very much for all that you've done for the sport. People do not give you guys the credit that you deserve for all of the interviews, all of the buildup that you've helped with the sport, everything that you've done. I know what it is. Other people know what you've done. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you for, you know, just being goddamn just fantastic people. I appreciate it and I love you. Thank, Thank you, you sir. sir. We love you yeah, too, man. Yeah. That means a lot coming from you. Um, so we really appreciate those kind words. You guys take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Always great to catch up with Big John. Gracious with his time. And uh, we look forward to his call on Friday. But, man, we covered a lot, huh? Yeah, we sure did. I mean, uh, show me a better person to ask those types of questions to than the man that's been basically almost in every position uh, with the exception of fighting. But, I mean, he's trained. You know, he's done basically everything you can do revolving around mixed martial arts. Like, that dude uh, has a lot of knowledge, and I'm glad that on some things we did agree. Yeah. I'm glad that he had some of that honesty with uh, his call of Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan's first round. And by the way, you know how I'm always telling people, go to youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie video. You can watch the whole interview there, and there you'll be able to see the video that Ghost showed him of him on the uh, crash detail for the city of Los Angeles during the Rodney King riots. So for those that listen on the pad- podcast, you won't get to see it, but if you want to go to that YouTube channel, you can see what we're talking about. It was a little film crew that followed him around during the Rodney King riots as they were kind of trying to clear a store that had been looted. Um, and thank you, Big John, for the kind words there um, about our show. Uh, man, he kind of left me at a loss for words there. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's a guy that early on in starting our show, I mean, he was one of the early people that we would interview. So, I mean, he's kind of been along for all of our ride and, we haven't been along all along for all of his, but we were definitely big fans and and uh, probably did the let's get it on on the playground quite a few times. So cool cat, man. And he used to live right by us. So yeah. he literally used to live a block away and uh, shared some good times with him. He, he's a cool cat. Yeah, no doubt. I guess we can say that at least we've been there for more than half of the ride because the sport is going to be 29 years old this November, and we've done at least 15 years. So 15 is half of 30, so at least we're more than been been along uh, more than half of his ride, because Goz is right. UFC won. Him and his wife were there. And um, 
And John's not kidding. He probably could have got in there and fought if they really needed a body. Um, anyway, I hope they have a great call of the fights out in London. London received the UFC very, very well. They were very, very pumped up. They got themselves a title fight with uh, a London-based fighter. No disrespect to Patty Pimlet and Molly McCann. They're from the northwest of England. But you look, they backed their home countrymen, countrywomen. But in this case, MVP is London, man. He's all London. Uh, Aspinall is also from Manchester, the northwest. But this, this is going to be a London kid fighting in London. So that'll be tremendous. And um, how about this story, too, about somebody from the Midlands? So this is kind of like the mid part of the country. Nottingham is where Paul Daly's from. This is going to be his last fight, he was saying um, in an interview that I saw there on on Junkie. I, I believe Arfada Hanoon and Abby Subhan are there covering the event. He opened up that they offered him to box Dan Hardy. And I knew they came from the same gym because I knew they were both from Nottingham. But apparently in the last few years, they, they, they're not as close as they used to be. But there still was a little bit of respect. Um you know, on their parts and them not him not wanting to box. He doesn't even know if Dan Hardy knew. Wow. Yeah, no, um, that would be interesting. I, I mean, I, I don't know what to think of Dan Hardy. You know, it's been so long, and really the things that have been brought up are more on the boxing side. But he's just that type of guy that he entertains you. He makes you want to watch him. So I don't really care. He could be gone 20 years. He just has that little it factor. And if you follow him on social media he he seems like he's constantly in shape constantly training so i mean i would be down for something like that that would be interesting yeah so what he said was that the fight that the boxing match with dan hardy and diego sanchez happening on july 2nd paul saying they offered him to, to box dan and he turned it down down because of their history he just wasn't sure if dan knew it but he says i got the emails and the text to prove it but I just thought, no, nah, man, this is my bud from a long time ago. He also opened up and said that they offered him uh, Tyron Woodley, but that Tyron Woodley declined. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I thought the one that would have been interesting would have been, was it Koscheck, the one that he hit after the bell? Yeah, that's what costed him the UFC job. Yeah, so that kind of would have been interesting to see them box. Um, I see Koscheck racing cars or... <laughs> Who knows what he's doing, but, you know, he he never looks like he's out of shape. Now it's just a matter of whether he would want to go in there and box. If the number's right, that would be interesting if they would have revisited that. But it sounds like to me this is going to do it for him in terms of competing in combat sports. One thing I've learned, though, never say never. I imagine that you could possibly lure him back. So check it out. There's a lot of great stuff going on out there in London, England. Goes and I also had an interview with Logan Storley, uh, one of the main eventers there for Bellator 281. You can check that out now. There's a recap on MMA Junkie, but again, the whole interview is over at MMA Junkie. Uh, sorry, YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie video. Goes one more thing before we uh, move on, or before we call it call it a night. There's a video of Israel Adesanya. So he likes to tape himself as he's watching fights. And I love watching it because he's so into it. He's so intense. And especially if it's one of his guys from City Kickboxing out in New Zealand, he's going nuts, right? This is one video of I'm him. I'd probably be like, nah, don't put that one out. Because I'll tell you what, him and Yola Romero had a little bit of a snoozer title fight them themselves. 
And it, you know, I believe Rose and Carla beat them, but they had a fight where, man, I was expecting savagery that night. And I certainly didn't get it. So I think, I think if I would have been Izzy, I would have said, nah, you know, like it's fun to clown, you know, that's what I do or whatever. But I'll lay off of this one. You know what I mean? Wouldn't would yeah. you put that one out if you were involved in that fight? I mean, uh, it's so hard because Izzy, when Izzy's on, he's on, and when it when it's that type of fight, yeah, it sucks. I, I, he's got that personality that I just let it slide. I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I guess. In the end, who cares, right? But <laughs> like I said, I think that's what. If I if I'm Izzy and and Team Izzy brings that to me, all right, where about the publish? You want to look it over? I probably would have been like, ooh, I was snoozing during that one. Yeah, man, no, like uh, a lot of people snoozed <laughs> during mine, so we're good on that. Anyway, all right, folks. So thank you so much for tuning in to show number two here of the week. Uh, we greatly appreciate you listening and downloading the show, every single one of them. Uh, I want to be as gracious as possible with every episode. Because it means a lot, especially a lot of you that have been with us for the whole for the whole ride, honestly. All 3,258, now 59 shows. Don't forget to catch Goes and I on Spinning Back Click. It publishes Tuesday morning, and it's us tackling all the hot topics. Basically, we're staples now on this video franchise that's now two and a half years old. I'm now hosting, and Goes is uh, one of the analysts. So... Shout out to this week's panel, Mike Bond, Nolan King, and goes a special shout out to Kenny Hathaway, our producer. That's cold coffee. Yeah, he does a great job adding the B-roll and just making us look better because, trust me, we do fumble the ball a few times, and he kind of covers it up and makes us look a lot better. So always a shout out to him. You can follow goes on social media at the goes T-H-E-G-O-Z-E, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at MMA Junkie George. The radio show's at MMA Junkie Radio. Don't forget to have it locked up all week long for MMA Junkies coverage of Bellator 281 and UFC on ESPN 36, I think they're at, uh, which is on Saturday. That one's headlined by Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakic. Big, big fight. You know Blahovich wants a shot at that title. He cannot come up short here. He's 38 years of, of age. And there's Ankalaev, and there's a lot of other fighters that are kind of working their way up. And this one could could cost them 18 months to two years if he wants to revisit a, a shot at Glover Teixeira. And for Rakic, this is his perfect chance to launch into a contendership by getting one over on a former champ. So you got to watch that one. You got to watch MVP and Storley on Friday. All right, with that, we're out of here. Enjoy your weekend. Go out there and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.